This past weekend, I was not here. And I was not here because I was traveling. And Dr. K. Pieper, a graduate of USC, <laughs> spoke for us. And I'm so appreciative that you did that. And it was a lot of fun. I got to listen to it. I actually listened to it twice. Uh, you know why? Because it was only 15 minutes. It was great. <laughs> it was really exciting. And where was I? I know you're all asking. I can see it on your faces. Where was I? I was in Memphis at my brother's wedding. And it was pretty amazing because, you know, today we're talking about uh, family and the family of God. And I didn't mean to plan to do this teaching right after uh, I get back from being with my family and all the family systems. On top of it, I didn't realize when I was going to be talking about family that my in-laws would be here this morning. And so, like, you know, I, when I talk, hey, yeah, 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 you, welcome, welcome, love you guys. And I want to just make that clear because it's not like I picked it coming off of this topic. It was just planned months ago as I prayed and fasted for, the, for today. And I just want to say that from the outset. So it's kind of like weird and awkward that I'm doing this today. And also I'm coming off the weekend and I know my parents are listening somewhere in Florida. But, you know, coming off this weekend, you're around your family, you're around all the systems that the family brings up, and you're watching mom and dad interact in certain ways, you're watching brothers and sisters act, and then you're watching this other family merge with your family, and you're like, ooh, that's a different kind of system. That's a little different than my family. And then you, you don't make judgments, but you just, you know, kind of make observations. Is that what we call them when they're not judgments? So you observations. And, you know, what I saw in both families, it was a nice reminder that I saw some really healthy family legacies, some really healthy things that families do and did during that whole weekend. And then also it reminded me as I was watching different family units and how they interact in the different players, the grandfather, the step people and all those things. All those folks in those environments mixing together in a reception area with alcohol. You realize that there's layers to this. That there's family messes behind everyone's you know, dresses and their ties and whatever else they decided to wear. I'm not wearing a tie kind of uncle. You know, the uncle that never wears a tie to the wedding? Yeah, I got that one too. So, and you know, everywhere we look, there was, there's, there's, you could see it. You could almost see, uh, you could see, wow, that reminds me, seeing these two people together, that reminds me what happened with this and that. And it's this, this two-part legacy. Some of the legacies have resulted in generational health. And some of, the, some of the legacies have resulted in family messes. And every family has legacies that are positive, and every family has messes that are what they are. They're messed. They're messed up. And I just want to encourage us, when you look into the Scriptures, you see throughout all the Scriptures that there's tons of families with family messes. We see dads who played favorites in the Bible. We see sibling rivalries. We see issues with infertility. We see issues with patterns of lying or people cutting off family relationships. So let me ask you a question. As I describe my family, uh, as I describe the other person's family that my family married into last weekend... <laughs> Do you see any negative patterns of family repeated in your life, in your family? Maybe you've experienced someone in your family that's had an affair. Perhaps you've uh, 
there's been an estrangement between family members, family members that don't talk anymore because of something that was said or done. Maybe there's a legacy of repeated divorces. Maybe there's a legacy of substance abuse, drugs, alcohol, or anger. There's just a pattern of anger and frustration that gets expressed in sometimes violent ways. Do you see any negative legacies that result in family anxiety, anxious behaviors, pregnancies outside of marriage, or maybe even just kind of the inability to admit when you're wrong? I do. And if you're honest about your family, you've seen some of those things too. Now, Pete Scazzaro, excuse me, Pete Scazzaro wrote an amazing bestseller called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I think, and this is the book. And in the book, Scazzaro offers one reason why there are these legacies in our lives of both positive and negative legacies. And Scazzaro points out that family rules impact everything in our lives. Family rules impact everything in our lives. And he says, just like the, there's the Ten Commandments, uh, in every family, there are commandments and rules that families follow. Now, some of these family rules are explicit. They're discussed. They're agreed upon. Sometimes family rules are implicit, meaning it's just understood that they're there. You don't really talk about them, but it's just the way things are. And many times, these family rules can lead to family health, or they can lead to big family messes. Now, I'm going to put the, the Ten Commandments up on the screen. I know it's really small, so if you want to gather around, climb up and walk past the stage and circle the ones you want. But, like, here's some of the family rules. Every family has rules about money. Is it a source of security? The more money you have, the more important you are. Money proves that you've made it. Many families have rules about conflict. We don't have conflict out loud. Or we have explosive conflict to show that we're serious about something. There's rules about family rules about sex. Sex is not discussed. Sex is constantly discussed. There's a double standard between men and women. Boys will be boys. Women need to be chased. There's rules about sex. There's rules about grief and loss. Some families do not express grief, do not express loss. Other families live through that, through the prism of that for the rest of their lives. There's rules about expressed anger. What are you allowed to be angry about? How severe should your anger be displayed? There's rules about family. There's rules about relationships. Some families say, don't trust people. They will let you down. Or they make vows where they say, no one will ever hurt me again. I won't let people into my life in a, in a very personal way. There's even rules about different cultures. Different cultures. You're only supposed to be close friends with people who are like you. If you're smart in this family, someone might say, you're going to marry someone of the same cultural background. Um, there's rules about success. And there's rules about feelings and emotions. In some families, you're not allowed to have certain feelings. Every family has rules. And some of these rules are explicit, and some of these rules are implicit. They're not really discussed until you mess them up and they go, gotcha. And often, our family rules determine the trajectory of our lives. So what were your family rules? 
I can tell that you're thinking about your family rules because I see a depressed look on all of your faces. But let me just, I have a, some of them have helped you. Some of the family rules have helped you. And they've blessed you. And they've made you who you are. And some of the family rules have hurt you. And let me just say something in defense of your parents and your family. Your family got their rules from family. Who got their rules from family. Okay, so there's a system at work here. And there's another kind of system at work here. And here's what I want to say. Now, if followers of Jesus are anything, we are not determinists. We are not determinists. Your past does not have to be your future. Your dad's sins don't have to be your destiny. And the generational garbage you've experienced does not have to be your eternal inheritance. Amen? And however, we need to understand that as Jesus followers, overcoming family mess is not just automatic. It just doesn't happen automatically. And just because you've accepted Jesus into your life and you've become a Christian, that you don't need to deal with the pain that happened from your dad's affair or your mom's absence or your stepfather's indifference or your sister's addiction or the experience of abuse that you had growing up in a family system. But here's what we believe at Pacific City Church. And here's what I want you to believe. And together, I think we can believe this together, that family messes can be overcome. Family messes can be overcome. There's no determinist behavior for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is part of the good news of the gospel. That those determinist points of view, those family systems, those family rules don't have forever kinds of power over you. But our family mess, if we're willing to look at it, it must be dealt with honestly and with God's help. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy named Joseph. Now, there's a few Josephs in the Bible. We're not talking about Joseph, Jesus' stepdad. You know why he's a stepdad? Because God was his heavenly father. So we're not talking about that one. We're not talking about Jesus' stepdad. We're actually talking about Joseph in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is the time and period before Jesus came to earth. And Joseph, his dad was Jacob. And these were the founding fathers of the Jewish faith. And Joseph was his dad's favorite. Now, a little bit about Joseph and his family mess. His uh, dad, Jacob, had two wives. Problem number one. That is really... <laughs> if you're having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. <laughs> Jacob's got two wives. That's not much fun. That didn't rhyme, I mean that to rhyme, but it does. Okay, so... <laughs> He's got two wives. And one of the wives he loves more than the other. But the one wife that he doesn't love that much, he has more children with. Like 11 of them or so, give or take. And... Jacob and, and his wife that he actually loves has Joseph. And instantly, Joseph becomes Jacob's favorite son. What do you think this does in a family where you play favorites? I don't like your mom that much, and I like this one better. What do you think that does? What kind of family mess does that create? You don't know, you know, I mean, I know. I can feel your anxiety. Yeah, I mean, like, I, dude, you're so frustrated. All I want is my dad's love and affection, and he likes this brat. And to make matters worse, make matters worse, uh, when Jacob, when, when Joseph is growing up, Jacob makes Joseph a technicolor dream coat. He makes him a very fancy coat of many colors to show that he's his favorite, that he loves him. And over time, 
Uh, there's even some things where when Joseph goes to sleep at night, he has dreams that all of his brothers bow down and worship him. And so he tells that story to his brothers. His brothers are like, what is wrong with you? You're already number one and now you're getting dreams that we're going to bow down to you one day? What is going on? So eventually they get t- sick and tired of him. And you may know the story. They get sick and tired of him. And they see Joseph marching to catch up with him because he's the youngest. Joseph is marching to catch up with the other brothers uh, while they're out tending sheep. And they go, come, let's kill him. And let's like, uh, like take his coat and put like blood on it and make it seem like a lion killed him. And, and the other brothers go, yeah, that's a real good idea. Let's kill him. I'm tired of this guy. Um, and, uh, and so, and so he, what happens is he, he, they do that. They grab him. And uh, they take them and they throw them in a well instead. And they take the Technicolor dream coat and they cover it in blood. And they're thinking about killing him. But one of the brothers speaks up and he goes, let's not kill him. Let's just, there's a caravan that's passing by. Let's just sell him into slavery. Let's turn him into a slave. And we'll just sell him. We'll be off. And then we'll tell our dad that he was killed by a lion. And so they kind of clear their conscience in that way. So they do that. They sell Joseph, their own half-brother into slavery, take the Technicolor dream coat, make it all raggedy, and they're like, finally, he's out of our lives, and we can finally have our dad's attention. Well, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Joseph ends up in Egypt as a slave, but God's blessing is on his life, and so in a short amount of time, he starts to climb the corporate ladder in Egypt. He's climbing the proverbial steps of the pyramid. And he's, and you like that one? Okay, good. (laughs) Got the Snickers from the sound guy. So he's climbing. He goes from slave to head of the slaves. And then he goes and he over, he starts running this guy named Potiphar's house. But then he gets thrown in jail for something he was accused of doing. You can read about the story. It's kind of messed up. And then he's in jail for a bunch of years. And he climbs to be the number one guy in jail. And all of a sudden he starts having uh, dreams about uh, something that's going to happen in the future to the Pharaoh. So the Pharaoh brings him in. And he's uh, he's going, I'm sorry, my daughter's like jumping out at me out there. So Nikki, can you actually go take care of that? Um, family messes. She's popping out and she's like this and then going back in and I'm not that good of a public speaker anyway. So <laughs> um, anyway, so, so he starts climbing the, uh, the ladder uh, in the jail and then the Pharaoh brings him on and eventually his, his prophetic insight through his dreams are so accurate, he becomes the most trusted person in all of Egypt. He goes from slave in the well, from his brothers, he climbs all the way to being number two in the whole country of Egypt. And he's just this outsider. He's just this outsider. And, um, yeah, but that's not the end. And at this point, Joseph is probably thinking, hey, I can just move on. I don't have to deal with that family mess. What's done is done. It's in the past. Look at me. I'm number two. I get to wear a black wig and makeup. And I get to, and uh, like the makeup with the eyes. And that's how they dress, right? That's how they did. And I get to do this. I get to be number two. I have influence over the most powerful country at that time in the whole world. I don't have to deal with my past anymore. I don't have to deal with my family mess. I can move on. Now, here's an issue with that. Here's an issue we have to take with that. Some Christians have been taught bad theology that you don't have to really deal with it. 
That some people think that when you become a Christian, everything from your past just disappears. And the Bible says when you become a follower of Jesus, that you are a new creation. That something new is done in you. That God has put his spirit in you and that God actually lives in you. And he gives you as a Christian, he gives you a new future, a new hope, and a new family, and new capacities, and a new destiny. But being a new creation doesn't mean that we never have to deal with things of the past. We're new, but we're not entirely new. And which leads to this. When it comes to family stuff, you just don't move on. You just can't move on. Just don't move on because it's actually impossible. And here's why I needed to tell you that. The story continues. So, where were we? Joseph goes from slave to number two in the whole kingdom. And guess what? A famine hits the land. And seven years, there's going to be no grain, nothing. Things are going to die. A lot of people are going to starve to death in this famine. And look what happens. Joseph's 11 brothers and their new brother that came in afterwards, the Joseph's brothers come to Egypt looking for grain and supplies and resources because there's a massive famine. And they don't recognize Joseph. They immediately go as an outsider. They go, they check in with Joseph and they come before Joseph. And what happens they bow low before Joseph, the thing that he actually dreamed about. And they go, and they're like, good sir, we are looking for grain. And they don't recognize him. Why? Because of how Egyptians dress. They have, they're usually officials in the, in the court, uh, the king's court or the pharaoh's court, would wear these long black wigs. They would often wear eye makeup. So they didn't recognize him. Plus, he had aged a number of years. This is many years later. He had his own family. They had put this out of their minds. They thought everything was like, that was it. And now they're just coming and saying, hello, we're a neighboring tribe. We would like to do what we can to get grain so we don't starve to death. And it's weird. The brothers think this is done. And Joseph thinks it's done. Can you imagine being Joseph? Can you imagine if you were in Joseph's situation? You turn the corner and you're like, okay, who do we got to see today? And you look up and you're like, oh crap. It's all those mean faces that threw you in the bottom of a well. Can you imagine what that's like? Let me ask you a question. Why did God bring Joseph's family back into Joseph's life. Why did God allow Joseph's brothers, who were terrible people, to come back into Joseph's life? Why does God suddenly allow things from our past to be stirred up in our lives? Everything in your life is going fine. You've moved on. You've made peace with your past. And then all of a sudden, your ex moves into your town or into your into your neighborhood, or worse, they move, start going to your church. Uh, <laughs> or your dad, who you've never really had much of a relationship with in your life, starts calling and showing up and being like, hey, I want to be in your life. And you're like, what's up with that? 
or you have a super needy person that you've been able to establish healthy boundaries with. You found a place where you know where they end and where you begin, and you're not in an unhealthy relationship with it. And then they call you and they say, hey, guess what? I'm moving to Los Angeles. I was wondering if I could shack up with you until I find a job, but they've never held a job, so you know this is a bad situation. They're going to be with you for a long time and all that. Why does God allow things to suddenly erupt in our lives? Well, the truth is, is that we just can't move on. There's an old adage, and it's this, hurt people hurt people. And we know that Joseph's past wasn't completely healed. It was just below the surface. And here's how the story goes. Initially, when Joseph's brothers ask for the grain in the situation and they don't recognize who he is, he didn't reveal his identity. He kept it like he kept the official look because they didn't recognize him. And when his brothers show up, so does all of his own anger, all of his own pain. He has fantasies of revenge in the moment. And what you see in the story is he puts them through the ringer. He makes life very difficult for him. He says, well, you need to go bring your dad if you want the grain. And then he like slips, he does this thing where he slips some gold in some of the sacks of the grain and he slips it in the youngest brother's thing. And then they arrest the younger brother and hold him in jail. So they arrest one of them. They, they make one of them stay behind. Why does he do all that? Be That's right, Lupita. Hurt people hurt people. He sought to hurt them a little bit. He sought to kind of punish them a little. And have you ever seen this in yourself or somebody else? An overreaction to something that was said that was small, it was little, it was triggered by some innocent comment and you step on it and it turns into be something what we would call an emotional landmine. You say something innocent and boom, it explodes in your face, creates a huge explosion. Do you know anybody in your life who because of their prior woundedness from something that happened in their family, continually acts out of that woundedness, interpreting every gesture, every comment through the prism of their own pain. Do you know anyone that wrestles with that? Why does God suddenly allow stuff like this to come up in our lives? Why? Because hurt people hurt people. And when God comes into your life, he cares about you and he cares about me so much that he wants to heal you. And get this, and here's what God does. So get this, even though you have been hurt, sometimes God allows things and people and situations to come back into your life so that you can begin to break the cycle and so you don't have to hurt people anymore. You see, God just doesn't want your whole heart. He wants your heart whole. How do we get the whole heart? Well, here's the end of that story. And I know some of you who are theologically trained are wondering if we're going to actually read some scripture. And here it is. <laughs> in Genesis 45, starting in verse 1, it says this, then so they have this whole moment, everything you remember, he's kind of getting back at them. And now they're coming back and they're like, can we have our brother back? Can, we, can you please send our brother back? This is what happens. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants and cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. 
And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Now here's the big reveal. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my dad still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. All this emotional turmoil, all of this emotional difficulty is just below the surface with Joseph. All this pain and grief that he had buried and not really dealt with. It was just down there. You know what I mean? It was just down there. It wasn't really addressed. It was going on. Suddenly, it comes up. It's thrown back in his face. He turns the corner and sees the family that he thought he didn't have to deal with anymore. How do we overcome family mess? We don't move on, but you allow God into your past. And what we see is here is that we bring our emotions to God. We tell God about what has been done to us or was done against us, what your family was like or what you experienced. And you invite him into the mess instead of trying to deal with it yourself. And in the story, in the process, we don't know exactly what God did. But somewhere between kicking everybody out of the room and weeping, and before he reveals himself to his brothers, God meets him. God met him. And what we see is this, is that somewhere between kind of being a little revengey with his brothers, being alone, crying it out, and then returning with his brothers, God gives him this new perspective on his family. And he speaks to Joseph, and he says, you know what? I can use this mess to transform the garbage in your life to gold. And so he gives them this new perspective and he comes back and he says, listen, brothers, you intended evil. You intended to hurt me, but God had a different purpose. God had a different reason for this to happen that even you couldn't see. And so I'm here to tell you that God has given me a new perspective to see this differently. I was sent ahead to actually help you. How do we overcome family mess? We don't just move on, and second, we allow God into our past. But when we allow God into our past, something else happens. We get a new family. And we see in this story, God does something with this weird moment, and Joseph gets a new family back. Not the same old family that he had, but a restored family based on forgiveness, based on what God gave him that perspective on. And you might say, I don't know where you are with your family, but you might say, you know what, my family is all messed up. But God says, it's okay. Together we're going to deal with that. All the pain, all the craziness, all those experiences, I see them. But I've got something new for you. I've got a new family. And, and for those of you who are still wrestling with your earthly families, if you're trying to figure out, I need to have correct boundaries, this is also an encouragement. Listen, 
What is a Christian? Think of it this way. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who has been adopted into a new family. Yes, we have our earthly families. Yes, we need to work those things out. But Christians are people who have been welcomed into the family of God. And we have God as our father. And we have our fellow Christians as our brothers and our sisters. And a church isn't just something that we go to on the weekends. It's not just this really cool, fun club that starts at 10 a.m. if you're here on time. It's like, it's something... In the New Testament, the most referenced thing in the New Testament, the time after Jesus, about the church, is that it is referred to as a family. And it's in this new family that God is our Father, and we can find healing from the family mess. Because our new family ought to operate with new rules, and not just as a dysfunctional family. And so you get new rules. Remember the rules I was talking about? At the beginning, sometimes family rules. When the family of God, you get new rules that are healthy, that aren't dysfunctional. We have new rules about money. It's not a source of eternal security. We can have a proper perspective on money. Our self-worth doesn't have to be driven by the dollars we make. There's new rules about conflict. You can forgive others because God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. There's new rules about achievement. That you don't have to achieve to some, something to be loved. You can receive and you don't have to achieve. And there's new rules about relationships. Because Jesus has built something into you, you can learn to trust people. You don't have to have new rules about your feelings. You can express how you feel. It's okay in the family of God to have negative feelings. And best of all, we get new rules about God. That God will never leave you. That he will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. And that he will always love you. And will always receive you whenever you turn and draw close to him. You have families. I have a family. Some of which are here today. And what we want to do is we want God to bring healing to our relationships in those places. And we also want to be the kind of people that aren't determined by our past, but God has done something new for us for now and for the future. Why don't we all stand?